Hello and welcome to You Really Shouldn't Have. My guest in this episode is stand-up comedian and podcaster, Scott Curtis. A somewhat latecomer to the comedy world, Scott didn't begin performing stand-up until he was in his 50s. We discuss all things comedy, as well as his own comedy-related podcast, and as always, he tells me all about the worst gift he's ever been given. So Scott, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Really great to have you on. Thanks for having me, James. This is exciting. Now, you began your stand-up comedy career at age 50. So was comedy something you'd always wanted to get involved with, or was it more of an impulsive decision at the time? Yeah, you know, um, first off, I have to uh, tell you that uh, I've been a dirty liar for uh, several years. I told everybody that I started when I was 50, and I actually saw a Facebook post of the first time I did comedy, and I was 52. Oh. So um, I, 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 just, I, I just have to put it out there that uh, <laughs> I've been a dirty liar, and I want to come clean. I started when I was 52. Uh, so, so, you know, it's funny, you start saying things and I put it into a bit and you start saying the 50 thing because it's easy. And then you start believing it when you say it enough and then you prove yourself wrong and you look at how many times you said it and I, I'm just glad I'm not famous. <laughs> so what was the decision behind giving it a go? What, what made you decide at age 52, shall we say, uh, stand up comedy was something you wanted to try out? Yeah, I really, I really always wanted to do it, but I, you know, I just lived a regular life. I, I got uh-huh. married and I've, I've been married for 32 years and, oh, wow. um, I, um, I've been with my wife for 37 and, you know, we had kids they are both grown now. So I just, I did jobs. I, I, I worked, uh, I've been, I still work. I've been at the same place for 15 years and, that's just what I did. I always enjoyed stand-up comedy. I uh, the first guy I ever saw do stand-up comedy was Tom Dreesen, and that was back when the Mike Douglas show was going on, and uh, that that was a big show in the states. And so I loved it. Um, I saw him in the seventies, and it was always it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to do it. And then finally, somebody at work where I work. Uh, was in charge of putting on our company holiday party ah. and he asked me to do a set. So, uh, I said, no, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, a, I'm not a comedian. I'm not going to do a set. And then he kept asking me. So he asked me about three times. And I finally came home and I told my wife that he's asking me to do this. And she said, just do it. You know, you want to do it. So do it. So my first set was actually 45 minutes. Um, oh, wow. and, but it was mostly roasting my fellow employees. So that made it pretty easy. It was all crowd work. So that started it. And then I started doing open mics and now here I am, uh, doing it whenever I can, when there's not a pandemic going on. Absolutely. (laughs) We'll move on to the pandemic slightly later, but what do you, what do you remember those early performances when you, when you got to the clubs? Uh, when I started doing open mics and doing club performances, I, recognized pretty early on that my uh, choice of wording jokes, um, everything was pretty bad and I needed to rewrite everything. Um, As everybody finds out, they're always too long. There's too many words. And I found out pretty quickly how to cut that down and make it so it's, you know, a tight 
five, tight 10, whatever it takes to fill the time and actually get laughs instead of build up to a single laugh after five minutes. So I, I recorded my sets. My wife came with me to quite a few of them and she gave me feedback and we've been together long enough that we're pretty honest. <laughs> and uh, so um, like everybody else, I was terrible when I started. Uh, the only thing that I think helped me a little bit more was that um, I'm older and I've been in business and I, I failed many times. Uh, so I recognize failure pretty quickly and uh, I can make corrections pretty quickly. too. <laughs> <laughs> Coming in as an older comic, you must have had like a wealth of life experiences to help craft that early material. Yeah, really. Most of what I talk about, first off, I, I work clean and it's not because I'm uh, I don't swear in life and in life I swear all the time, pretty much every minute of the day, but I'm more comfortable doing a clean act. So I really, I talk about uh, my age because that's usually the first thing that comes up because I'm usually the oldest guy performing or one of the oldest guys. And then I also talk about my family. I talk about my relationship. I talk about my kids. Uh, you know, I talk about weird things that happen to old people and, and uh, I, I've got a ton of stuff to talk about there. So that's pretty much what I do. And it seems to work well, both with uh, an older audience, somebody, an audience that's my age or a younger audience. And the funny thing is, is I discovered early on that if I'm in front of a uh, younger audience, if I use young words, um, like I refer to my wife uh, as my bae, my boo and my shorty, uh, <laughs> uh and I, I, I do other words like that too. I do all that kind of stuff. And young people just love seeing a, an old guy with gray hair um, using those words like I know what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh all right. So Scott, what is the worst gift you've ever received? I'm going to give you the best story of a bad gift rather than my worst gift. Okay. Okay. And over here in the States, one of, one of the rites of passage, uh, of passage which is very um, um, kind of heteronormative, is that uh, when you're a young boy, you read the Hardy Boys. Okay. And when you're a young girl, you read Nancy Drew. Is that the same over there? Got, yeah, it's, it's uh, different books, but I, I get the analogy. Yeah. So um, I had two sets of grandparents that I saw quite a bit. The, the one set of grandparents on my mom's side, we didn't do as many Christmases together. And that's because um, they were extremely religious and they didn't really do Christmas gifts and stuff like that. So we had a kind of a rare get together of all my mom's uh, sisters and their family. And my grandma wanted to get us all a gift. So apparently she talked to different people other than my mom <laughs> and uh, <laughs> asked what I'd like. And uh, from that, I think they probably told her I like Hardy Boys books. And from that, I got a Nancy Drew book. Oh, So not only did I get a Nancy Drew book, but they were a few years too late. Um, I was about 13 at the time and I was way past the whole, <laughs> the, the whole Nancy Drew Hardy boy stuff. So I got the book and it was fine. I mean, it was no big deal to me. The hilarious part of this is my grandma uh, was uh, uh, like a musical genius. I mean, she could hear a song and just play it on the piano wow. or the um uh she could play piano and she could also 
I mean, she could play just about any instrument, but that same year I had gotten a Ted Nugent LP, um, free for all. And that, that had come with me to the Christmas party and my grandmother had a uh, turntable and she wanted to listen to it. So we, we put it on the turntable and, uh, free for all was the first song, I think. And she's listening to it. She's, I really like that. She got on the piano and started jamming (laughs) with the the song. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? Nancy Drew is totally okay. Uh, You jam with Ted Nugent on the piano with a picture of Jesus right above you. That's fine. (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever had something that someone's bought you like year on year and you don't like it, but you haven't had the heart to tell them you don't like it. So now you've like amassed a strange collection of something. Yeah. So this is actually, this will go to my other grandmother. This is on my dad's side. Uh, There was a pop singer in the States here called Bobby Goldsboro. You can look him up and he had a minor hit song called watching Scotty grow. Uh Uh, And 45s were big when I was a kid. Uh, My grandmother on my dad's side bought that 45 for me four years in a row. (laughs) (laughs) So at one point I had four 45s of watching Scotty grow by Bobby Goldsboro. (laughs) Incredible. You probably have the most copies of a one hit wonder anyone's ever had. Yeah. And it's a terrible song. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't, I listened to it once. I couldn't listen to it again. Now, we touched on the coronavirus situation a little bit earlier on. So in terms of obviously live comedy at the moment not being as it is, what have you been doing to fill that void so far? Well, I've, I, I, I've got a podcast and I've thrown myself into that quite a bit. I have done some Zoom shows and I find that those, they're, they're not conducive uh, for my type of humor because I like to be looking at audience members. Uh So I've actually uh, changed my zoom shows to being more like topical one-liners. Like I'll take the news of the day and do one-liners. And um, then I've also got some characters that I do. One of my favorite characters is Eugene from Smyrna. Uh, He's a uh, a conspiracy theorist. And uh, so I wear a a hat that says apocalypse on it and uh, (laughs) some dark glasses. And I go through conspiracy theories and that seems to do pretty well. And I've also got a little act that I do that lasts about five minutes called eye sockets of doom. Um, I'm actually able to fit large uh, items into my eye sockets and I do a whole thing. I've got music and everything for it. And that that's something I pull out when I've got a new crowd because you only have to see it once. If you see it twice, it's not funny anymore. So that, that's some of the stuff I do just to keep going. What kind of items are we talking? Um, so I've, I've got some mini solo cups and then I've got some uh, larger stuff. Um, the, the stuff that gets the best effect is I've got these tea lights that I put in my <laughs> eyes and I light them up and uh, I do that. And then with the music, it's just, it's just a whole thing. It's great. I'm going to have to check this out. Scott. I think I'm yeah. going to have to see it to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've got a YouTube video of me doing that uh, on my channel somewhere. I'll take a look for sure. In terms of your comedy career, what has the highlight been for you so far? You know, really, it was fairly early on. I um, There's a musical venue in Goshen, Indiana, which is about 25 miles away from where I live. 
and the gentleman who owned it and the gentleman who uh, put on, uh, he had a improv troupe there decided instead of music, they wanted to do a comedy night. And I had never performed um, professionally. I'd never, I, I got paid for, I got paid for one gig before that, but it was, it was like, I got free drinks or something. So I, this was the first time. And the guy who owned the place was, um, he's kind of a crotchety old guy. And I used to come in and uh, give him crap all the time. And he was on a a podcast episode I did of a local podcast I used to do. And he demanded, he says, if you're going to do a comedy show, Scott has to do it. So there's the pressure. I was, I was kind of the headliner. And so they, they brought me on and I did, I think I did maybe 20 minutes and I did a little bit of, um, uh, crowd work. I did a little bit of, uh, roasting the owner of the store. And I, I brought, I, I just brought the house down. Everybody was coming up to me afterwards saying, you're great. You're fantastic. You should do this. And you know, my very next performance was just awful. So, <laughs> so I got, I got right, I got right down, uh, to where I should be really quickly after that when I was feeling good, kind of cocky, uh, after that performance. And then, then I did terrible the next one. So it's, it's pretty much how comedy really goes. <laughs> sure. Now your current podcast is called behind the bits. Tell us a bit more about the show. Right. So I've, I've been pod, I had been podcasting for about five years prior, uh, with the local podcast I did. And as I started doing stand-up, I started thinking about all the different people working in stand-up comedy and all the different approaches to the business, different approaches to writing. You know, you see so you, you see so many differences. And what I really wanted to do is talk to them and my, my podcast is not a humorous podcast. I'm talking serious about stand-up comedy. So I get them to talk about the things that help them uh, come up with the material, um, things to look out for when you're booking shows, uh, uh, making sure you get paid, uh, just all the subject that stand-up comics want to hear about. And as I learn, I record it and I put it out for other people to learn too. So that's really the gist of the show. I didn't know how long these episodes were going to go. And it seems like right about an hour um, is, is how long we end up talking sometimes a little bit more, but I've gotten really good feedback, both from the people I've interviewed and some people watching the show um, or listening to the show. And it's uh, actually gone quite well. And I, I really, really enjoy it. What are the key takeaways that you've been able to enhance your own act by talking to the other comedians on your own show? A lot of it is uh, a lot of comics tend to, and I didn't know this before I started talking to them, uh, working out new material is always one of those things that nobody knows how to do. And a lot of them, what they do is they sandwich new material uh, between good stuff at the beginning and good stuff at the end. And that's something that never really occurred to me. And, uh, an open mic only takes you so far because usually when you do an open mic, it's usually at least 70% comics out there and they're not really listening to you. They're reading their own notes. So you don't get, you don't get the feedback that you really need for a joke to work. So if you just throw a couple of them in there, no matter how long your set is, if it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever, if you put those in there, just sprinkle them in there and see what the reaction is, then you can work your material out that way. So that, that was one of the things I got. And as far as 
writing is concerned, um, I, I get a lot of different uh, opinions on how you're supposed to write and a lot of different approaches to writing. Uh, some folks are very structured. They write an hour every day or two hours every day. Um, and some people just write stuff down as they uh, come upon it. But uh, the one thing that is um, pretty universal is, is when you write a bit, write it out longhand or type it out or whatever, and then you work from the back, which is your punchline, all the way to the front, and you look at what can be taken out of it and still retain the uh, gist of the joke. So working from the back up, I've learned that is just really a great way to um, trim those jokes down, uh, get rid of the extra words. In terms of like self-critiquing your performances, do you like record every set you do or do you say record once every five shows? How do you tend to review your own work? I tend to record audio about uh, 75% of the time and then I'll, I'll pop a video recording in once in a while because I want to look at how I'm acting on stage. I've actually made, uh, I made a decision right before the pandemic hit that I, w- I was going to keep the mic in the stand uh, because I'm animated with both my hands. You're looking at me right now. Both hands are going. And it, it really, um, I, I'm a very, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot five and um, I'm just a big guy. So um, being emotive kind of helps the audience not be scared of me. Uh, and so um, I, I made the decision, hey, you know what? I'm going to keep that mic in the stand and give that a try. So the next time I get on stage, whenever that is, I'm just going to go ahead and keep the mic in the stage in the stand. <laughs> so Scott wrapping up, if you could go right back to the beginning of your comedy career and give yourself a gift to help you get where you are now, what gift would it be? Um, I think it would be the gift of um, paring things down quickly. Uh-huh. I, and, uh, also I, I didn't start recording my sets for, uh, about a year. I didn't, I didn't think to record them. So the, the gift of a nice, uh, recorder, cause it's hard to use your phone to sure. record audio. So I've got a little audio recorder now. And finally, where can people find out more about you and what you do? So behind the bits is all over the, um, internet on the social media, just type behind the bits into, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we're all there. And I do have a website. Um, it's called thebtbpc.com. Thebtbpc.com. And the reason why I have that is because behind the bits is taken. I couldn't uh. use it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. It's been great to have you on. Thanks a lot for having me, James. This was great. Thanks again for listening to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast service to make sure you never miss another episode. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bad Gifts Pod, as well as online at badgiftspod.com.